I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Align Podcast. I think we need a legitimate jingle at some point for this production uh, called The Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and currently just wrapping up here at the Paleo FX here in Austin, Texas. I got my short shorts on. I'm wandering around the streets, trying to stretch out my legs. This guy's out, thighs out. Uh, beautiful conversation today with an individual that uh, people have been telling me for the last year I absolutely need to get on the show is Daniel Vitalis. Um, kindred spirits, I would I would say. I had a really, really beautiful time getting to chat with him. Greatly appreciate him coming on. Curious for people out there, how often you have conversations with anyone that really challenge you and really bend you and really kind of puts you in a place where you start saying things that you didn't even know that you knew kind of getting to the end of that conversation and being kind of like huh well what just happened there i feel like too often we end up kind of sitting on the edge of ourselves as opposed to jumping in if you look at the auditory spectrum or the visual spectrum or any of those spectrums we see here feel about one percent so they say of these spectrums and uh, i think it's the same thing with ourselves i think we dabble in the one percent and there's a big old ocean of 99 percentage that lies below that i think we just kind of a lot of us just let sit there I mean, we're on a meta level right here, this conversation we're having compared to what a lot of the people in the world have even the ability to communicate about. I think when people are at base survival levels and praying praying and predating on one another, I think is another piece of that kind of a world where where people are using each other like resources, there's very little trust. Um, you know, at the street level, things are really rough. Like people aren't communicating about how they feel about these things, no less of, you know, oh, this trauma that I'm going through. It's like, that's just life. That's just living right. real close to the bone, you know? Really important conversation. Uh, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on once again. Por favor, check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you'll find hundreds of videos on self-care and functional movement. You will find the self-care kit, which is uh, getting close to being sold on sold out on Amazon again. So thank you for that. I will send some more shipments that way. And uh, what else we got on there? All sorts of goodness. Thank you so much for leaving iTunes reviews and comments and such. Um, I greatly appreciate those. I am um, absolutely paying attention to those. And it's just wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you, if you have any interest, you can check out, I got some pics up on Instagram and such. All that is at Align Podcast of just some really interesting things. I got to work with a guy with MS in a wheelchair, working with squats with a man that, uh, lives his life in a wheelchair. That was epic and amazing and just, just great. Um, so yeah, really cool stuff with that. I think that might be close to something i got a i got a quote kind of kind of sort of quote from eckhart or meister eckhart who is a 12th century theologian philosopher mystic fella and the way it goes is uh somebody came up to him or people come up to him on a regular basis apparently and ask him and say meister like how should i pray what is the what's the what should i be doing what's the process and his response would always be you're asking the wrong question it's not about how i should pray it's about how i should be you know so seeing bringing that that concept of prayer into more aspects of your life and then i believe that leads to the genuine manifestation of those prayers prayers are funny believing that 
there is a mystical bearded man up there listening to all these prayers. That's very challenging for me. But uh, making it be one with you, your experience is your prayer. That makes quite a bit more sense in my opinion. Uh, so I found that to be interesting. Thank you so much for tuning in. I greatly, greatly appreciate your time. And uh, here we go. Back to the shizzy with Mr. Daniel V. Ciao. Align Podcast. One thing that I think that everyone, it should be mandatory to get into at some point, whether you're going to get paid or not, learn how to touch another person. Mm. You know, and so I'm curious, like your background with that and how that, what's that been like for you? Well, Ever since I was quite young, like, I've been really obsessed with the art of helping people grow, get better, feel better, all of that. Yeah. Um, strange for me because I didn't grow up feeling good or, <clears throat> you know, like no one, no one really went out of their way to help me feel better, but I felt called to that. Yeah. Um, and I did a lot of um, different, I did that in a lot of different ways. So I did that by being a lifeguard. I did that by uh, being a trainer. I did that by working on an ambulance. I did that by working with kids. And at one point, my journey led me into a bodywork school um, and to about five years, which I think is the typical average, right? Like uh, bodyworkers on average start dropping off at about five years. So the ones who go past that are the ones I always am like, okay, that person's really called to this right. yeah. career path, whatever. But I did about five years of it. Um, I had done some ambulance work and I was working with kids in um, kids who had kind of been taken from their parents. So like we're in custody of the state or whatever. And on a one-on-one -on -one level, I was really able to help people. But you know, those are like, that was like state funded medicine and it was such a turnoff to me and realizing like, wow, these are not people on a journey looking for help. They're actually running away from it. This isn't like really nourishing me. So body work for me was a place where people were coming specifically who wanted to grow through things and wanted to heal. That was exciting. And like you said, learning to touch another person. I think one of the real benefits of going to a body work school is getting that much body work. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a tr such a transformation for me. So if that was six months, I think I was there full time, six months, like five days a week, getting body work every single day, just working my kinks out. Right. And I mean, I probably never felt as good in my body as I did during those six months as far as just the sense of freedom and elation that I had at that time, you know, two, three sessions a day. Um, and learning to touch people, like you said, I mean, crucial. That benefits me every single day in my life and all the work that I do. I'm constantly reminded of how I'm helped by that, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I witness in myself and in society in general is kind of this this numbing effect of modernity. You know, and it's like you one could kind of argue that, you know, to walk over homeless people in the street, you know, it's like you need to have some degree of like withdrawnness. You know, and I think that there's something, and then you could easily argue that either way, but I think there's something that we end up manifesting in our, in our physical selves of this detachment away, you know, mm -hmm. and I think there's just having someone poking and prodding and, you know, and feeling like, whoa, what's this? Your sacrum. What the heck is a sacrum? You know, <laughs> just having somebody in there, I think there's broader implications than just working out the kinks. You know, I think that like we, we I know, I know that's not what you, you fully mean, but I think there's more, it's always more when you get through it. You're like, wow, that's, did you feel like there was kind of some kind of, well, I think I, I had, I was pretty athletic <clears throat> at that time and was doing a lot of movement. Um, and I would say I had a really developed sense of proprioception, yeah. uh, but maybe not a really developed sense of like interest, interception interoception, I think they call it. Um, you know, I just had Dr. Daniel Siegel on my show and he was talking about different, the different senses. And of course there's the five explicit senses we talk about. Um, but then there is things like proprioception and interoception, the ability to feel from within your body, right? Cause that's not touch. That's not the sense of touch, which is our skin, but that's a, an awareness of the interior of ourself. And, um, as opposed to proprioception, of course, which is our awareness of ourself in, in spatially in space and temporally. So, I think there I really did, because like you said, when somebody touches a place like, for instance, for me, one that stands out is when you put your hand um, on the kind of frontal part of somebody's um, scapula, right? So you go between the rib cage and the scapula, like in through the armpit where it's like, whoa, I've never felt that there's 
awareness in that place before or when you touch somebody's psoas you know like real deep and you, it's like this or abdominal massage let's say where you get into somebody's viscera these are places where there's such a disconnected from feeling and i found this to be true in other areas too i think cleansing is another area if anybody's ever done a liver cleanse where it's like oh a liver is not an abstract thing that i only see in books i have one in my body and it sends messages and signals to me all the time that I've not ever noticed before, like you can feel your individual organs, you know, all these kind of things. I think meditation is another place where it's like, oh, I can feel the lobes of my brain. They send sensation signals. So for me, body work was also a place where I could learn to receive signals from the inter, you know, from internally. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, and more than that for me, honestly, I think, and this is almost cliche at this point, but so much emotion, so much trauma is in the tissue and it's like, it's got to come out here, but it's also got to come out through being manipulated too. And so I think for me, it was a place of just sloughing off a heavy amount of childhood trauma, birth trauma, all that kind of stuff that needed to be left behind. And, um, it's, I think it, takes a lot of consistent body work to get into some of that stuff too. Yeah. 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 There's a quote from Eckhart Tolle says something like, I, I ruin quotes every time. So paraphrase to the degree. He um, says, if your inner world is, is strong, then your outer world will never be puny. You know, it doesn't really work the other way around so much, you know, so if we, but, but in the model of our reality, the way that we've kind of grown up through like Genesis and like we were created from the mud and we were kind of formulated and, you know, it's like, we feel as though we're like this model that was made as opposed to we grew from, yeah, from everything, before. you know? Yeah, and also, you know, we if you look into the not-too-distant past, there was a geocentric model of the Earth, and that said, like, you're at the center of the universe, and everything spreads out from that center, from that core. And today, we say, no, you know, you're a, it's a heliocentric model. And so now we view the Earth from outside of it, um, as part of this other system. And I, and I think there's value in both of these approaches. But what I like about the old approach is it is you at the center experiencing, because that is how you experience it, whether the earth is really the center or not for you, it may as well be. And one thing I don't like about the way that we see it today with the heliocentric model, which will shift in time too, is just this idea of viewing everything from the outside. And so like you said, when, when you have that kind of a view and you're brought up with that view, it's like, you're not the center of your own experience anymore. You're supposed to view yourself in this abstract way because it's more scientific. And I think that that leads to that place too. You know, and I want to go back to what you said before about callousness versus feeling. And I think that um, there's such a black and white tendency in our minds. And, and I really think that having access to both ends of those poles, so to be callous when it's time for callousness and to feel deeply when it's time to feel deeply. So you know, when I'm, when it's two in the morning and I'm in my bed with my lover, I want to feel deeply, deeply, deeply. Mm -hmm. Right. And when I'm having to, you know, eviscerate an animal that I just killed, I want to be able to have that like mm -hmm. coldness, be able to do that job, you know, and I want to be able to traverse from pole to pole with ease and without stumbling block whenever I need to. So I want to be able to go from super consciousness down to like rooted physicality at whim, not be locked in any one end of the pole. And I just think that we do see so many people, just like we see a lot of people who are stuck in the cold callus, we also see people who don't know how to tighten a boundary either, especially when you get into the bodywork world, the new agey kind of scene where there's like just people who are like float around with open boundaries and become almost like a targets for parasitism. So I think that knowing how to have both is what's really important. Yeah. Absolutely, man. And the interesting thing with that, mentioning the bodywork realm, is you can see this in people's bodies, in people's physiology. You know, and it doesn't need to be like, wow, I'm really feeling some mommy issues in your armpit. Like, it doesn't need to be that abstract. It can be as simple as, oh, wow, when I feel depressed, hmm my body shifts. You know, you can call it medial rotation of the shoulder or protraction or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Or you can just call it like feeling kind of glum or down. You know, it's like, it's always interpreting. Taking it from that outside, that is, that is a huge mistake too. Or it's such a longer process to be like, oh, you're medially rotated with the shoulders. And that's going to, that trying to get back from that place versus 
hey, let's address the core of that depression. To me, that is actually ultimately in body work, that was a place I became very disillusioned after a while because I was working in a very clinical setting and trying to work people's emotional issues out from the physical place is a really tough battle mm -hmm. versus addressing the whole thing, I hate to say holistically, yeah, right. but from the whole perspective. So, and I think another major benefit of body work too, learning to do body work is, um, and I, you know, I mean, as you know, you don't have to be, there are people who are very talented at it and people who I've met who aren't, but we can all learn to be really good with touch, right? And um, I, I definitely have learned body language, you know, this idea of how the body communicates, whether it's hands-on or hands-off. And so I know, and you must experience this all the time, where people feel like what they perceive is like, you must be psychic. And it's like, no, man, it's written it's so <laughs> yeah. loud and clear that I can't not see it you know it's like I'm not it's not uh, a sixth sense or anything it's just like being like that's a red door that's a barn you know it's like that's a person who's depressed like right. just can see it you know right. yeah yeah there's a quote from Ida Rolf is it says we, we work with the body because it's what we can get our hands on you know and so and what she really meant by that because she was a pretty you know out there psychedelic lady was that was kind of her cover for like uh, there's a lot more going on here, you know, but no one's going to be too judgmental if we're just talking about elbows and shoulder girdles, you know, but from there you do start to knock on the door of everything, I think, you know, and that you were talking with Dan Siegel. I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I've been following his work for over a decade. And one of the things that he mentions is working with the integration in your community into having integral relationships and to developing the integration of your neurology. And one of the things that I, I, I yes, comma, working with the integration of your body does the same thing. Working with the integration of your career does the same thing. We're, there's so many different levels of integration to work with and they're all kind of scratching each other's backs. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, you know, so with your with your background with body work and, and you were talking about like the, the emotional stuff that kind of you got to work through, was there anything specific, tangible, something that was that you feel like you worked out with that? Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of tears that needed to come to the surface. You know, that was really interesting for me. It was just like receive, being able to actually, I mean, for a lot of people are like this, just to be able to receive touch. I always was amazed yeah. at the people who needed really deep work, right? Because, yeah. and you, no matter how deep you go, it's like they wanted to be bruised and beaten. It's like your mm. tissues aren't letting me in. Right. So I'm working on what feels like a brick. And if you just sent your loving intention there, that would soften and you wouldn't need such deep work, you know? Right. So a lot of it for me was like learning to receive touch at depth especially was really powerful. I mean, I was some, I grew up really kind of isolated and like, I didn't know how to receive that or how to receive love. I mean, that was the biggest thing is like learning to receive. Yeah. And then I think in very particular areas for me, there was a lot of, again, upbringing stuff. I was really stuck in like the sympathetic, like, Oh shit, like it's going down, you know, yeah, and locked into that place. And then on the streets where I grew up, like that posture was the posture of all the dudes who lived around there. So it was like always this like forward predatory posture, which I still carry a lot of, you know, but like progressively work through. But um, like learning that I didn't have to be in a fight or run kind of posture all the time and like letting that out, like letting my heels come down onto the ground for a second, like, you know, those kind of things where it's like, oh, I can be here and I'm safe. I think um, learning to, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, one of the really powerful things that stands out for me was, and not this is not in receiving, but in the giving of body work, yeah. was the rapport building. Because I was thinking about when you are going to a complete stranger you never met before, and you're going to ask them to get naked, and then you're going to touch them mm -hmm. in a little room somewhere they've never been, and you need to, in the span of five minutes, make them feel like completely comfortable with that. You know, that takes a tremendous amount of agility. Yeah. Um, to be able to do that. And when you start to do, when you've done that to a hundred or 200 or 500 or a thousand people, it's so easy for me now to walk into a new space 
and develop rapport. And I look freaky, you know, but I end up in front of, I could end up in front of a physicist tomorrow or a room full of medical doctors giving a talk. And it's like, to be able to win rapport quickly, it's like, I know how to get you to take your clothes off and lay on a, on a table and let me put my hands all over you. So I'm pretty good at getting you to like the place where you can just hear what I have to say. And that's easy, you know? So that was a major piece for me is like learning, learning how to get a person not just to, to that place, but to a place of receptivity in that place mm. without rigidity. That to me is a skill that I'm just so grateful for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I describe it as, as, um, I don't actually, I don't, I don't know if I've ever described it this way, but as if now I describe it this way, <laughs> I was like landing a plane. You know, if you were to take a plane out of the sky and just say, coming down, drop it down and smash, you know, like. That's the equivalent of walking into a therapist's office and them just like groping you and getting into your business, you know, but it's like from your, you're planning the land as soon as they walk in the door, as soon as they make the appointment. And this is, this relates to business. This relates to relationships, anything, you know, and then slowly and then you pull the flaps out, you know, and now we're just, we're just hanging out. You know, I don't even notice you there so much. We're just kind of, how much do you want me to notice you? You know, like, oh, you want, okay, cool. Now, now we're a little closer. All right. And like that, that's a big thing. Approaching a cat kind of, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because people don't run in there like dogs. Like, <laughs> right. It's like, it's like a little nervous and you go, like you said, you kind of ignore the cat and then it starts to come closer. And right. like, yeah, you know, also like I learned a lot about set and setting, like lighting and sound and what makes a person comfortable and what makes a person uncomfortable and little things like, do you need to pee? You know, like have this sensitive to other <laughs> sensitivity to other, yeah. uh, you know, like, understand also like seeing what it felt like when i when somebody was too much that way or they had the music was looping or the sound of the speakers was tinny or the light was too bright or they all those things that i learned from other people like going like i don't like the way that feels i'm never going to do that i'm now sensitive to that so i feel like that's another piece is just overall sensitivity to how a person's five senses influence their state of receptivity or not it's cool to talk about this because i don't really thought about it that much yeah. you know but like um, I really, really value those experiences. That's hard work. I don't know that I would take it on again, you know, but like, I, I'm so glad that I did it. You know? Yeah. 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 yeah it's, and, and so for people that are listening, that are like, I don't give a crap about manual therapy. You know, <laughs> This relates to everything. This is any relationship, any kind of interpersonal situation you've ever had or will have in the future. It's all the same. <laughs> you know, like being able to touch person actually it really, really, really matters. Like to the yeah. outcome of your life, right. and being able to be touched by another person to the yeah. outcome of your life, this stuff's important. Yeah, yeah. So you had had hinted at uh, your upbringing being isolated, and you being, you know, up in the fight flight, you know, putting that that kind of uh, facade on of protection. That's a that's exactly where I came from. <laughs> so I'm really curious, like, what can you kind of divulge a little bit of like what that, because I, I think there's a lot of people that have similar situations, but we don't talk about it. Yeah, I agree. It's you like, know? fortunately, yeah, like a lot of it's really masked. And um, I do find the more I, you know, vulnerably you share a story, the more other people share their story. And then you go like, oh, there's a lot of commonality. Yeah. And even people, you know, I grew up really, really kind of at the United States, New England base level poverty. So, I mean, obviously in the world scheme, it's nothing, you know, I grew up quite wealthy in some senses, but, um, but for where I lived, which was largely in New England, um, you know, really poor. And then I'll meet people who grew up really well, but they were so emotionally poor that it's like, you know, they grew, I grew up, sorry, financially really well off, but like emotionally poor households where like, so I think it's all really relative too. But yeah, so I grew up in New Hampshire um, to a mom with mental illness and a lot of um, really intense, you know, she was a child herself, 17 years old um, when she was pregnant and maybe 18 when I was born. Um, dad who abandoned us and uh, kind of walked out and we grew up like, you know, I grew up like a welfare kid in a kind of a rough area of the places where I lived. And um, and had an unusual amount of bullying kind of experiences, um, a kind of really strange amount of it, which I still sort of sometimes try to understand how I ended up that, that kid exactly, but was that kid for a long time and singled out not just by other kids, but actually by a lot of adults as well who, who found ways to uh, create stumbling blocks and kind of really 
create hardship for me. So I kind of grew up with a lot of that. I was institutionalized several times. So I have a lot of that kind of, had a lot of those kind of experiences, got in a lot of trouble with the law, sometimes rightfully so, sometimes not. I was like framed before all those kind of things. <laughs> so, so I've had like a lot of like really, the beginning was really rough. The second half has been pure magic, you know? Yeah. The first half, I would, I'm grateful it's over because <laughs> yeah. it's really yeah. difficult. Um, and it's been a lot of work to get to a place to feel joy. I think one of the things that, a lot of times people don't understand is how that kind of an upbringing can lead to low serotonin levels as an adult, dopamine addiction cycles, all these kind of things that it's not just a matter of like, oh, cheer up. It's like sometimes people have neurological, like your limbic brain is formed around these things, I guess is what I'm saying. So, mm -hmm. you know, you really, the recovery process, you know, and I live in Maine right now, there's a tremendous uh, heroin problem here. Yeah. So it started off with a pharmaceutical drug problem that the Mexican cartel sort of pumped cheap heroin in here to undercut Oxycontin, which everybody was addicted to. Now we have a major heroin problem here. It's kind of surprising to think Maine is uh, like that. But as a result, I, I've had a lot of people around me either die or go through the, the drug and alcohol recovery process. And observing people in recovery has been really powerful for me because it's like I see that we all need recovery. You know, my, my work fundamentally kind of revolving around this idea of human domestication and rewilding. To me, like I could take that word wilding out and put recovery in there and just make it really a recovery process yeah. from this lifestyle that we were all brought up in. And I've come to understand that, you know, the healer's journey is a journey of recovery. And then it's about being there. It's also a, another way to say it would be redemption. I feel like religiously it would be a redemption myth. Maybe in the secular world it would be a recovery story. But I've become very sensitive to this idea of recovery. And I see it all around me and part of that has been tapping into neuroplasticity so you can start to change and rewire some of the brain. A lot of it is about refeeding yourself. A lot of it for me has been about making, we were talking before about community integration. That's been a real challenging one for me that you know I'm constantly confronting. I think a big one has been letting nature become my family. Yeah, um, you know, because it's like having a dysfunctional mother and father um, or no father and dysfunctional mother, it's been about like transposing that relationship onto the ecology around me because I didn't have it at home. So yeah, it's been a lot of recovery and I feel somewhat well adjusted, but like every single day there's stuff that comes up that's like, oh, still working with that, you know, still working on that piece. Yeah. Yeah. They, I feel like torment can breed talent sometimes okay. you know that's like something that kind of popped up for me the other day I was like yeah like the times that I've been the darkest and oftentimes when we talk about these things it's always past tense you know very rarely do you hear someone say like this torment that I was dealing with last night you know <laughs> it's like you know because to, to put that that's a very vulnerable place and last night I wasn't dealing with torment you know but but in, in general like we always talk about this as though it was like oh two years ago and now now I'm all better and so what I think it does it puts us in kind of an uncomfortable place to really keep it real with exactly where we're at right now because everyone has problems in the past you know, it's, I feel like for me, those, those times that I can go in with myself because things are uncomfortable, that's where I, that's when I get the treasure. Yeah. You know? It's interesting looking back on it too because the world that I grew up in, there was no communication about these kind of things. I mean, we're on a meta level right here in this conversation we're having compared to what a lot of the people in the world have even the ability to communicate about. I think when people are at base survival levels, and praying, praying and predating on one another, I think, is another piece of that kind of a world where, where people are using each other like resources. There's very little trust. Um, you know, at the street level, things are really rough. Like, people aren't communicating about how they feel about these things. No less of, you know, oh, this trauma that I'm going through. It's like, that's just life. That's just living right. real close to the bone, you know. And over the years, as I've I sort of extricated myself from that, but also sort of worked my way up, the, the hierarchy of needs a little bit to places where, you know, union with the divine or, or union, you know, tantric union with my lover is like an ideal that I can have uh, move toward. I can only move toward because my base needs are now sort of met when they weren't, you know, that was not on my mind. And I, I don't remember ever conversations revolving around anything but drugs, alcohol, food stamps, like fights that had happened, who's going to hurt who, like that was the kind of 
You know, it took a long time to get away from all that. And, and interestingly, looking back, I don't know if you relate, but like a lot of the people I grew up with are dead, mm. young, you know, died or, yeah. or some were killed, some killed themselves, some overdose, some are in prison, you know, but a lot of those people didn't even make it. And I just, a lot of times it's just, I'm grateful just to have gotten out of there, no less getting to live like a life that is like a dream reality for me, you know, but took me and really committed to the tiniest voice, the littlest voice in me of like just knowing what, what felt, it was just what felt right instinctually and what just had some darkness in it and trying to avoid that darkness as much as I could led me to a place. And I know that will work for everybody, but I don't know what the difference is between somebody who wants to listen to that and somebody who doesn't. I think it's having, like you're saying, like having the space to, the analogy I use is like a tablecloth. You know, when your tablecloth is covered in mustard and ketchup and mayonnaise and, you know, blood or whatever's on there, you can throw anything on it. And it's like, oh, whatever. It's just, you know, freaked up tablecloth. But as you start to get in there and start to bleach off the stuff and, and you know, do the work, you know, and start to work that out, you, you, can, you can really step back and look and say, what the hell is that stain in the corner that I'm noticing? You know, I've yeah, 25 years and I'm finally noticing, you know, and it's like, I think that that's the, it's like, there's, there's all these different potential tools, you know, mediums that we can go to start to clean the cloth. And that's, that's the game, man. That's the, you know, that's, that's what makes life interesting. I think, is there anything for you that you feel like? What kind of Clorox you've been using? <laughs> you know, like what kind? What? And a lot of stuff like like a short list, <laughs> like body work was a key piece of it. That was a key piece. Yeah. I think travel is one that you don't hear as often about, but like international travel, especially by yourself, I think can be a powerful way to get perspective on what's cultural and what's not. You know, because there's a lot of things that. When you're trying to clear yourself out, clean yourself out, reformat yourself, you're still doing it in the context of a, the confines of a rigid culture that you don't know is there. It's an invisible kind of a ceiling. So getting out of that was really powerful for me. Psychedelic drugs have been a major player for me. I mean, you know, this is one of those taboos that I, I like to bring up mm -hmm. and I know is like just that it's just challenges a lot of people out there, but like undeniably and the science does show us this you know that we start to get that neuroplasticity we can reformat our brains and we have these wonderful natural tools around us so and when i say that i'm primarily talking about plant-based and animal-based substances from our environment fungal-based substances um so that's been a major player of course a lot of reading of course a lot of meditation of course a lot of prayer a lot of tattooing for me has been a major piece mm. nutrition huge piece time in nature time in the sun time in the water drinking from springs i mean like so many things for me my life is just a gigantic stack of strategies yeah. for reformatting myself and necessary i mean necessary like because it's not like i'm not i don't have endless energy or motivation to do all this stuff it's just this is stuff i have to do right. to manage you know i'm a i'm a a domesticated dog that's gone feral and managing myself is a full-time job yeah. you know yeah, yeah, and it yeah. takes a lot of a lot of practices to keep the tablecloth clean right because especially in a culture where a culture that doesn't you know we have a culture that turns a blind eye to the dirty tablecloth, right? So it's easy to walk around in it because everybody else is walking around in it too, no one even knows. So we, we're the only ones enforcing our own standard. And the society's not going, hey, you know, I noticed you got some dirt on your tablecloth there and we have some tools to help you clean that up. I mean, it's not doing that. It's, it's going like, it's like a rap video where instead of like, <laughs> crystal just spraying on everything, right? It's just a big... Lecherous, lascivious mess, and so, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like all day I'm 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 going from practice to practice to practice, you know, just to keep myself together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just I just got done with like a five month trip, solo trip. I was podcasting, recording sounds all over Europe and Africa, and it was great, you know. And one of the things that I was realizing along that trip was. Um, you can travel without ever leaving your room, you know, and that's, it's an interesting thing. Like I've had quite a bit of, of traveling experience by myself, random, you know, weird places. And the amount of times that I've just experienced really, really like dark solitude 
in those times, you know, and it's been really developmental and really good, you know, but a, a lot of those times I'm feeling like, man, if I had just a really good home, you know, a really good familial tribal type feeling, the travel that that would permit me to do within my body, within my mind, within my spirit, within my, you know, fill in the blank. You know, that's the thing is like people that have those homes, sometimes I think disregard it because it's like, no, nah, this is, you know, I, I need to be traveling, I need to be on my own, you know. And then the travelers are like, man, I could really love a home right now. <laughs> you know? Actually, that thing I was saying before, I feel, and I feel like this is true of almost everything we could talk about. It's like so important to be able to traverse the space between two poles. Yeah. Right? Cause there's such a tendency to be like, I'm a traveler or I'm a homebody. It's like, I'm a traveler and a homebody. And I want to know when it's the appropriate time. What's the tool that I need in this moment? You know, as somebody who grew up without a dad, I, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are this way. It's like find a lot of mentors along the way, even some of them only for a day, some of them for longer periods of time. But like one said to me at one point, uh, we were working on a job and he, he had so many tools, you know, and I'm trying to, I don't know, I'm trying to bang a nail in with the back of a screwdriver or something, you know, and he's like, Daniel, there's a job. I mean, there's a specific tool for every single job. And that's really for whatever reason, that really stuck with me over the years, you know, because I think, especially I lived really light and I traveled a lot, so I'd be the guy who'd rather have a multi-tool. And you know, like a multi-tool is like, my Leatherman's great and it's a crappy set of pliers and it's a crappy Phillips head and it's a crappy flat head and it's got a shitty saw in it. Yeah. It will do the job, but when you try to have a tool that does every job, it doesn't do any of the jobs really well. It takes really specific tools, right? So to me, it's like, Settling into a home is is like a skill, it's like a tool, and being able to travel is like another tool. And there's times when that's the appropriate tool, and there's times when this is what's appropriate. Like sometimes I need weeks at home just of recovery, and sometimes I it's like I I I have enough of that. I need to get out there and challenge my boundaries. And I think sometimes people get locked into a perception of self that's got a kind of rigidity around it. I'm this way, I'm that way. Or especially we see it as like elections draw near in the United States. You start to see people polarizing on these ridiculous, I mean, just absurd stances of like, if anybody was actually fully a Republican or anybody was actually fully a Democrat, to me, that would be a very emotionally and mentally unwell person because, <laughs> because that's too extreme of a stance. Yeah. Any healthy person would have qualities of both sides of this. But what we've done is we've taken a whole thing and we've ripped it into two ridiculous halves and been like, you have to pick one. And we do that with so many things. So I feel like the more adaptability we have as people, the more we can move between poles, the more fulfilled we'll be, the more experiences we'll have, the more of an asset we'll be to everyone in our community, yeah. to ourselves, you know? So, and I'm most attracted to people like that too. It's like I'm hiring right now at my company and the challenge coming to work for me is like going to do a tough mutter it's like there's some obstacles i'm put i make it challenging for somebody to go through my application process because i need to see how nimble footed they are how adaptable right. like the idea of somebody who's rigid it's just like oh you can't roll with me because rigidity doesn't last around me it's like yeah. we we need you to be able to do it all like traverse all the poles yeah yeah i oftentimes i question with myself of how uh, I've been impacted from kind of struggles and trials and tribulations of childhood. Circumcision is one of them. I don't have any, I don't really have any strong attachment to like, oh, I feel the pain of, you know, whatever, like my foreskin on the, I don't, I just don't really, I'm like, oh, I feel like it had to have kind of altered me, you know, but I also had similar uh, father issues, you know, growing up and, you know, it's like not in relation to foreskin, but, you know, of just, you know, losing, <laughs> losing, losing your dad in, in a sense, you know, and now I feel like I feel pretty good, you know, but I, I, I wonder, you know, with you having, you know, similar ish background story, like, do you have any sense of like how tangibly this has affected me or is it, is it all kind of a blur? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 I've parsed a lot of it apart, so I do, th I do feel very connected to a lot of this. Are we talking about foreskin? Or are we talking about all general life stuff? Here? General life stuff, foreskin <laughs> yeah. sometimes can be a part of that, but you know, whatever. 
Yeah, that's a piece of a bigger puzzle. <laughs> right. Big right. um, yeah, for me, and I think, you know, this is an important piece for our entire culture. We don't really have a moment to where, where our adulthood begins in an extremely clear way other than this you turned 18 story, which is not even really met with any kind of ceremonial change. And this is not adaptive. It's not uh, how humans have lived. So we know that for our entire existence, we could say somewhere between the last 200,000 years and the last three and a half million years, like when a hominin goes through a change, there's a ceremony to mark that change. I mean, it's only recently that we've abandoned this. And I think what we have right now um, is a lot of people who've matured into biological adulthood without having caught up emotionally or psychologically to that. And so, you know, we have grown up children all wanting in some way to prove that they're men or women, but not having any clear way or outlet for that to occur. I can't speak very well on what it means to become a woman, of course, but I can speak a bit about being a, a man who's spent a lot of his adulthood trying to prove to himself or validate his, his, himself to himself that he's now a man. And so, you know, I was with my partner this weekend and I was putting a canoe on the roof, right? So I go get this canoe. I put it on the roof and she's going, baby, I just love that you just know how to put a canoe on a roof. And it's like, it's like, girl, if you knew what it took for me to learn how to put a canoe on a roof, like I didn't grow up knowing how to do that. You know, I remember the day I learned how to do that and a thousand other skills that are a given for what we consider like a man's skill set, but that I had to learn from a hundred mentors and so many things that I'm learning today that it's like to seek out, take workshops, find ways to learn the basic skills that if I had just had a father who was present, mm. so many of that, those things, I would have just grown up around and they would have been so much of my mental and physical energy could have gone to skills that I might not get to in this life because I'm having to work on stuff that I could have gotten the first half, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think something similar going on for women too. So I think this this is one of the biggest things for me is that the idea that all the people who are having kids are kids and the idea that all the old people who could be our elders are also kids. Emotion, very few have grown, matured, and never really had a sense of adulthood and autonomy and sovereignty themselves. And so we are like, you know, again, we're domesticated animals, having baby domesticated animals, having baby domesticated animals, like not ever reaching. We actually, very few of us at least, ever get to see or experience what a matured human is like. Mm. That's kind of shocking. I mean, that's, that's fucking shocking. I'm flabbergasted by that idea. So I think that's one of the areas that's most present for me is, is just having to walk myself through all the initiatory phases yeah of being a human when and and trying to do so without lamenting constantly lamenting the loss of culture the loss of tribe the loss of family the loss of but you know but it is it's like if those things were intact this stuff would all be normal course uh but instead all the initiations we have really revolve around us being um slaves in a commerce system versus you know being sovereign adults in an ecology and and i don't know i mean that may sound like heady but i do think that's related to just not having a dad or a mom who knew how to be a dad or a mom you know right yeah uh alan watts is my hero he's been like he's my man you know and one of the things that he one of the things that he's he says that i love is uh, he says nowadays you know modern humans are are like our mascot is like the rocket ship and the bulldozer you know it's like that's you know, it's like manly you know going to space conquest knocking it down you know it's like and you could look at it from an evolutionary perspective like you know homo erectus or you know hominids or whatever probably spent a large percentage of their evolution probably getting smacked around a little bit because we're kind of we, there you know when there's every, every birth there's blood you know and the transition for us to be here with houses and da, 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 that gap to getting through we had to have probably had some moments where you know nature's out to get us you know and that could be that could be you know a little bit dubious but one of the thoughts is that now we kind of have this this thought of like okay I, I'll conquer it I got you I'm like the baby brother that got beat up all of his life. And now I'm bigger than you. I'm taking steroids. I'm going to kick your ass. 
Yeah, what he he calls the rocket ship the uh, it says uh, representation of male sexual inadequacy. Right. You know? <laughs> so obvious, right? Yeah. In space. Right. You know, that's I, I think the concept of when you think become it kind a of male. takes off at an erection angle sometimes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the the foreskin falls off. It so. Falls off. <laughs> I don't know enough about spaceships to make any real analogies, um, you know. But like, it is an interesting thing of like, you know, I just I just bought a house like four days ago, and I'm like, oh my god, like, am I a man? I don't know, you know. It's like, what? Like, we have all these. When does, it, when does it happen exactly? Right, you know, we have these kind of material markers. I think that it's like, aha, yes, I own my car. I got a, you know, I got my knocked up my girlfriend. And I bought a house, you know, it's like, I did it. You know, it's like, I don't know, no, man. That's not it. I, I didn't think so. It's, not, it's just not it, right? Because what did you really get? You got a mort gauge, right? A death right. gauge. To death. Like, you got a death gauge. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So this is, I think, <laughs> as I learn more about how humans, you know, I'm so fascinated by what a human what a human community is like without the influence of civilization but in, in nature from as zoology like how does that work and the more you look at that the more you see like we're doing it all wrong we're doing it all wrong like almost every single thing we do has been flipped on its head to how we're biologically how we biologically do it and so you know people become adults human become adults when they're like 13 years old Right? That's when we become adults. Like in most tribes, you're not waiting until you're 18. I think one of the biggest disservices we do to our kids today is at the age where they would normally be considered contributing adults, we lock them into this artificially uh, imposed concept of, of being a teenager. And there's this thing about basically, like, look, like if I'm hiring labor, do I want like a guy who's 50 or do I want like somebody who's 13 to 18 yeah. when it comes to energy output? You know what I mean? Yeah. But we got to keep those kids off the job market, right? Because they're going to dominate all these people. We got to keep on the job market till we retire them. Right. So we basically got to keep those kids held back. So we have these sort of institutions. We keep them locked in. They have the anatomy of adults now. They have the sexual drive of adults. Right. They have the desire for autonomy that adults have. And we say, no, you don't have that. And we force them and keep them into this. So we create this thing of the rebellious teenager, which they don't have in tribes. There's no rebellious teenager. though, Because they, they're given the privileges of adults yep. that they know they should have. But we lock them out. And then we, we wait until their parents start to fall off the job market. And then we open up and let them sort of go out into their slavery too, you know? And there's that moment where you magically get your, but you don't even, you get your adulthood in America, but you, you can't have alcohol yet. So you're not really an adult, right? You're like, you still have some privileges being withheld. It's just really strange. And then even once you get that, that nobody ever comes and goes like, Aaron, here's your man card, son. You've done really well and you're now a man, right? So you're left asking yourself, am I a man? Right. And then you know, we're, we're a couple of dudes who are able to have a conversation that is happening on many levels, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and we're able to flow between that. But you think about men who, who aren't there, who are really trapped in the physical. No, no wonder some of the acts we see perpetrated out there as these guys try to prove their masculinity to themselves. And on the flip, women trying to assert their femininity as well. It's just a huge hot mess out there. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I've, I've always been highly physical. And that's been kind of like filling XYZ void with my muscles or my, you know, my physical capacity in whatever sense that would be. You know, and it's something growing up that was like, I was really into bodybuilding and I was freaking 225, like 6% body fat, just like insane, you know, completely addicted to protein smoothies and creatine, you know, and it's just like, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, right. I know exactly what that was. Very insecure, you know, and, enough yet. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, oh, okay, I get that, you know, and then something that I find really interesting that you, you've mentioned uh, psychoactive supplements as being uh, legitimate nutrients and they are they have legitimate nutrients but that we have a degree of uh, a nutrient deficiency you could say you know and 
I think that that could be that could be literal or that could be metaphor. And the deficiency I think that it is is that we can become so consumed in this tube that we've been presented as being our reality. And so many people are so locked into that tunnel that they've never had the opportunity to sit on top of that tunnel for a second and take a gander. And I think to me, my experience, that's exactly what I get from entheogens or psychedelics or whatever. I, mean, I, I would almost say like if you if you've never done and used the entheogens, especially in a very like constant, because unfortunately a lot of people are like, no, I did that in high school at a party. And it's like, okay, well, I don't really count that. Right. Like, you know, try five grams of mushrooms in a dark room <laughs> by yourself, right? Then come talk to me about your experience. Right. But um, I, it's almost like the difference between, let's say somebody who's traveled around the world. They've been on several continents. They've seen cultures, languages, They've seen at radically different architecture, ways of behaving, ways of structuring society. They've been all around. They've seen it and they've done it. Mm -hmm. And then somebody who's never left a small town in Iowa, yeah. right, who's lived there their entire life. Somebody who's never done entheogens like somebody who's never left a small town in Iowa. Yeah, and somebody who's good. gotten the chance to traverse the reality in, induced through some of those medicines is like somebody who's really cosmopolitan to travel the world. And so when somebody is, and it's funny, you know, I was talking to my good friend Arthur Haynes this week, right? So we're always having these like deep conversations about this stuff. And I was like, Arthur, when's the last time somebody's came to you with like some kind of argument that you haven't, that you've actually been like, because because we talk about this rewilding idea. So constantly there's people attacking us for that from every direction, right? Trying to poke holes in it. And I was like, when's the last time that brought an argument up that you were like, Oh, that's a good, I hadn't thought of that, right? Because after a while, you're like, dude, I, it's like, heard it. So whenever somebody's got the, the uh, against the entheogens, the drug pitch or whatever, I'm always like trying to just look like I'm awake for a minute while I listen to it because it's right. like, it's like listening to somebody for, who's never left a small town in Iowa try to tell you why it's pointless to go travel the world where you're like, sure. uh, <laughs> There's just no, you, you'll never convince me. You'll never convince me because I know, because I know I'm on the knowing side of this. Right. So, yeah, I think this is really important. And I do think that our brains don't form properly if we don't get high level neurotransmitters. And so it's so funny how like nobody argues like, oh, you need vitamin C. No one's like, oh, no, you should live without it. Now, we all know we need vitamin C from our diet. We all know we need amino acids from our diet. And I believe we need neurotransmitters from our diet. And I, don't just say that because I like using them. I say that because when I look at natural people around the world, they all use them yeah. for some reason, you know, and we're the ones who don't and we're the ones who have managed to actually put ourselves in a situation where we're not sure if ourselves and all the animals and plants on the planet are going to survive. Right. That's the result of people who don't use those medicines. Yeah. Yeah. And the only time in history where we had a revolution around ecology is when those things filtered in in the 60s. Isn't that amazing? It's like you look at the influence of entheogenic substances coming in in the 60s and it was a massive return to nature, a massive awakening around ecology. It's fueled the entire environmental movement, the community, te the, the, um, community technology that's become into existence like internet. All that's fueled by psychedelics. It's so funny. It's like the one glimpse of hope yeah. in the wholesale destruction of the planet was caused by them. People are still like, I don't know about these – non-toxic substances that cause people to want to connect to the earth and each other. Right. I think we need to ban them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's just, it's analog to our insecurity with ourselves in general, you know, insecure with our sexuality, insecure with, with all these different aspects of ourselves. It's like, I want you to see me wear my tie and I, you know, I stand up nice and straight and tall and I drive, you know, it's like, that's what I'm comfortable with you seeing. Right? But then there's so much more to it than that. And it's like, I think that our, as, as a, a, like a, a global society level, our usage of entheogens is something now, it's like a similar thing. It's like our sexuality where it's like, well, we know all the really creative stuff, maybe not all, but most of it, you know, was fueled by the usage of these plants and then the creativity of kind of just exploring maybe what, what else, what are other options of living this life? You know, but we don't want to talk about it. And I, I think that, again, it's like, you know, we work with the body because we get a hands on. I think we can do that with, as we uncover each one of these levels, I think the other levels become less shrouded. You know? The other taboos start to stand out in the light, too. I mean, 
that's been a major thing I was focused on, I guess, two years ago, writing an online magazine. It's just like, I want to confront what I see as the major taboos that people don't talk about. Drugs is one of them. Sex is one of them. Diet has become one, right? You know, I mean, this is just, I, I just, somebody recently says to me, man, I don't talk religion, politics, or diet with anybody. It's like those are the three, you know. And I, was, you always hear religion and politics, but I was like, yeah, diet's gotten to that point yeah. where there's the so much contention around. It's like taboo, you know, like ooh. like just love digging through nudity is one I, I think is just hilarious fun to like poke at because it's so unfounded. So all these taboos that are, and the thing about a taboo is, you know, as you likely know, it's like it's people don't know that the taboo is there. If you ask them to explicitly state it, they wouldn't. No one ever told them. There's no written rule anywhere. These are implicit rules. So they, you pick them up culturally through mirroring and mimicry, but you don't know that you've accepted the rule. So I feel like being able to shine, and entheogens give you that big picture perspective, right? Where you're like, oh, I can see now from 50,000 feet what's going on in my little world. And I can see all these little taboos that when I'm in them, I'm blind to them. Yeah. And so, um, so I think like part of my job, part of all of our work is shining the light on all these like shadow parts of our psyche yeah. and, and starting to like bring them out. Unfortunately, when you're on the vanguard of that, you've got to suck, you got to learn to suck up arrows because <laughs> that's just part of it. You know what I mean? There's no, dip, even if you're diplomatic, like people, people, when you challenge the ego, whoo, yeah, man. yeah, people yeah. lose their stuff. Yeah, and it, I think one of the highest measures of maturity is, is tolerance. You know, it's, it's 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 that intolerance that you're actually you are taking in some aspect of reality that you're insecure with with yourself, and then you cover that up with he's a queer, you know, or whatever. Like, throw the blocks down. Like, like I am better than you. It's like no, 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 no. You know, that's it, a fun too because. You know, you get to that point where when you see that kind of like what you just said, intolerance, you know, it's like immediate. You just know, oh, that's a person who's got some growing to do. Sure. And that you get, you get to the point where that is so obvious that I, the, what it makes me think of is when a, when a little kid, like a kid holding crayons in their hand and there's crayon all over the wall and you're like, oh, you just wrote on the wall with a crayon, didn't you? And they're like trying to tell you they didn't. And you're like, <laughs> it's just like. So funny when somebody you know, there's no possible other explanation. So when somebody's like that, they're to me, it's like, oh, I see your wound is there, and they really think because often pride, that emotion of pride, which I think can be a really valuable stepping stone. I learned that from um, that book, uh, Power versus Force, that was really impressed upon yeah. me. In, in that, do you, who's the author of that book? I don't remember, but I like I, I read it years ago. But anyway, he talks about how basically. You know, like let's say you're like white power skinhead guy, pride, like a white pride. Right. That's actually a little bit better of an energy, not the, sorry, not the supremacist part of it or whatever, but that energy of pride is better than destitute street junkie, mm. right? That's a, a stepping stone of like mm. when people, bigotry is actually, at least it's a better than I have no boundaries, I'm, I'm spilled out on the street, you know? So I can so, sort of see like, okay, this person's, if the pride is a desire to improve at some level sometimes, yeah. but it, to me, it's like a kid with the crayons. It's like, oh, you have a lot of growing to do. And it's funny, people don't realize how much they wear on their sleeves. It takes us back to the bodywork thing. It's like, you just learn to read a person and it's really obvious what they're struggling with and, and what their issue is. Yeah, yeah. Son of a gun, we're run, we're no more time. <laughs> Love to keep on keep on going, but um, just quick thing with, with you saying coming back to the body that pride, putting on pride, that would be again analogous with you having some type of insecure compensatory pattern existing in your body, and instead of actually going to the root of it and working with those instabilities, you just layer on a new pattern and you call it pride, you know, and then maybe that's, you know, you learned it from a PT or whatever it was. And it's like, engage your, your rhomboids and get scapular retraction. And then you got, you know, all these things, as opposed to really looking at what are, what are all the levels of this thing? Let's really, really open the book up. Let's spread it on the table and take a gander. But most of us don't have time for that shit. <laughs> I'm saying that sarcastically, but that's the way we feel. I think that posture you just described, 
because it's almost like the same thing as we were just saying, like when you see that kind of pride or bigotry in a person, you know that there's that's a compensation yeah. for an area of weakness. Rigidity is almost always that, right? You know that in strength. You know that in body. Like oh, I see all this gear behind you. It's like, I mean, I've learned the hard way. I can speak to, yeah, I can squat a hefty amount of weight because I can fight through that, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that I, I can do that well, mm-hmm. right? It's like right. I can use rigidity to get through something difficult. I can toughen myself right up to get through it, but ultimately, it's, to me, it's, I'm only really there if I can do it in a place of softness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So if I'm struggling, again, I know my squat weight that is ideal is the weight that I can do without having to do a bunch of compensatory stuff in my body, create rigidity, lock stuff off, you know, that's not, I'm working too hard there. So when I see any, like that rigidity in a person too, like the posture of rigidity, it's also a sign of like, oh, something there. <laughs> what yeah. are we hiding? Yeah. And my, it's the last thing I'm going to say, I promise. And then where do people find you? And then we're, we're out of here. You know, but it's the, uh, something that I've, I've been literally just in the last couple of months been really meditating not in the sense of like oh meditating but just kind of pondering upon is this pain that i've had in my body since i was a little kid it's kind of like my dance partner you know it it gives me some type of objective something to say ah that's there i'm gonna work with that you know ah that ankle instability ah that thoracic extension whatever it may be it gives you every day something to say all right Let's go, kid. You know, we're going we're gonna to do this. And, and, and when you come to accept your pain or your background or whatever it may be, that all of a sudden it, it's not this horrible, painful thing. It's now your dance partner. And then it loses power. Does that? Oh, yeah. I just think like there's an illusion. And it's really filtered into with the, again, I call it new age. Um, instead of new age, but the, the sort of new age spirituality that is kind of infiltrated America over the last couple of decades brought a lot of really great stuff and brought a lot of really like weird stuff. And what I see with a lot of people who've embraced it is this idea that they're going to reach some perfected crystalline enlightened state. Yeah. And it's like, well, then get the fuck off the planet right. at that point, because this is a place to work out some hard shit. Right, right. I, I just, there's, I mean, I'm joking with that. I don't really mean it that harshly, but what I mean is like, you, we're here with problems, and problem solving is a big part of what we're here to do. Clearly, and uh, or at least that seems really obvious to me. So, if you know you had no pain in your body, you got no drive to move. If you've got, you know, it's like it's important that you have struggles. And I think in the new agey world, people will be like, "No, Daniel, you're focusing on the negative. You've got to just move toward the light." Blah 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 blah. But my experience has been like that's actually not how this works. Like, and I, I always, I wish I knew the source of this. I just read this thing and it was a, one of those random quips of like, in some indigenous culture says, but anyway, it was some indigenous culture says, you always have 75 problems. And as soon as you check one off your list, new one crops up. And oh. I find this with my, I run a system called GTD for my workflow management. So it's like, once I cross a next action off, you know, there's two or three more coming, you know, like there's never a end to the to-do list because there's always new and it's like you paint your way across the Golden Gate Bridge and then you got to start again because it takes so long to do that, right? So never, it's a never-ending cycle. So for me, whether it's pain in the body, whether it's a hardship out in life, struggles at work, struggles at play, whatever it is, yeah. we need this stuff. It's, it causes us to get better. I've yet to meet a really fulfilled, successful trust fund kid. Mm-hmm. I know they've got to exist, but I don't ever meet them. The people I meet who are the best at what they do had hardship and struggle. Hmm. You know, the animals, you look in the wild versus the animals in a zoo. Hmm. Hardship and struggle makes you badass. And ease makes you weak and makes you soft and makes you soft. It just doesn't work. So I feel like we spent, it's a waste of energy to try to eliminate all the pain, eliminate all the problems. What makes more sense is to continuously, like you said, to dance with that partner. But know that once you work out that thing in your thoracic body, something else is coming up. And even if it didn't, you're going to get older. So it's like it's just a not – you know, we're not here to live in a state of total ease. 
and right. perfection, right? Maybe that exists when we're done with these bodies, but in this place, man, things are, you know, you just get your mouth guard. This place is rugged. Right. <laughs> uh, perfection is a goal, not a destination. You know, it's something to support. So where do people find you and, and learn more about I, I highly recommend anyone checking your stuff out if they haven't already. Your podcast is much better than my podcast. I would jump over there. Right. <laughs> I'm just trying. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, DanielVitalis.com is my website. And then I do a couple other projects. I have a company called SurfRival.com, which is a really cool um, you know, online purveyor of really natural supplements um, that are designed to make people, again, badass. I mean, that's really the goal there. Um, we have a website called findaspring.com that helps people find natural wild water where they live. Um, if on my website is a magazine called rewild yourself and that would give a person a real sense of the overview of what my work's about. Uh, and then probably the number one place I would send people is to the rewild yourself podcast and that's everywhere podcasts are, but you know, iTunes, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm joking with the, the better, worse, or whatever, but very, very comparable thoughts going on over in that end of the world. So sounds like we've had a lot of similar uh, guests as well. You know, yeah. I'll be honest when uh, when you ha- asked me to come on. You know, I'm scrolling through your podcast, yeah, and I'm just doing that thing of like, ooh, that person sounds like that'd be cool. I'd like to have that person on. Yeah, yeah that's ooh. what I did with yours too, man. That's how I get my ideas. <laughs> exactly. I think we're all cannibalizing each other a little yeah, bit for right, that. Right. Uh, but no, podcasting has been amazing, and probably over the years, I've done a lot of a lot of stuff, and I've tried a lot of things. Podcasting has been the thing that's really, that's just so easy to reach people, Incredible. so easy to meet your men, meet the people you want to meet, right? And you get to like talk to people. You're like, you ever have this where you're like, really, that person's gonna talk to me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I've had some people on, like you said, Daniel Siegel last week, where it was like, okay, you know, he's gonna talk to me. It's yeah. great. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, you never get a hold of a dude like that. That's I've been following Dan Siegel's work forever, and I have a – it's not on the books yet, but planning on having a discussion with him at the end of this summer. So I'm like, that's the same. I'm just like, all right, that's just great. All right, cool, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully see you, see you real soon now, man. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and a massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.